I didn't bring water into the room, so let's bash this out neat. Snap, crackle, and pop. Yeah. <laughs> You've got the crackle, I've got the snap. Oh. <laughs> the pop. The um. pop is uh, infectious energy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Welcome to Bright and Barricade, a Lamer's podcast. My name is Nemo Martin. Are you say them pronouns? I was going to say, are you say them podcasts? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I am your host. Uh, and I have been uh, doing a run through of Disco Elysium, and uh, basically all of my choices in it are completely dependent on your side character, who's called Kim Katsuragi. And literally any time my character says anything, I just look at him <laughs> obsessively <laughs> like, Did I, am I doing good? Please tell me I'm doing good. I love you so much. Like, I don't think I've ever loved a, a, a video game character so much. And it <laughs> it's only just occurred to me that he is a, a, a vaguely aloof French person who sometimes <laughs> gives you validation. <laughs> I feel like I need to go to therapy for that. <laughs> I have a weird thing with French people who don't care about me. <laughs> oh no. Unless you're making a career out of it. Yeah. I'm like, oh my god. Like I suddenly went really tense as I was talking <laughs> and was like, oh god. Oh god. <laughs> What if he possesses the the spirit of Victor Hugo? <laughs> well, I mean, he is a cop, so that's... He's kind of like... He's got Javert's sense of humour <laughs> in that he's quite, like... He, he uses his, like, stone coldness so that when he does make a joke or when he does, like, crack a smile, it's like... Devastated. <laughs> yeah, you're not okay. <laughs> it was the only word that came into my head and I couldn't say it otherwise. <laughs> oh no. Oh, my oh. diagnosis, reverse simp. Yeah. Yeah. But he but also he I'm trying to make him into a communist, so that's something. I'm, yeah. trying, I'm trying to derail him. See if that goes as well as it went for Jean Valjean. <laughs> no! <sighs> Your turn. Please, please, <laughs> please, please simp yourself. Uh, this is Stevie. She, they pronouns. Um, I don't know if I'm simping right now, though. There must be something I can make fun of you for. Yeah, like I'm like you have so much ammunition, but can your brain find it fast enough? <laughs> no. <laughs> I swear we've said something in the chat recently about you. Surely we must have. <laughs> There's always something being said about me. <laughs> Wait, why am I finding you ammunition? <laughs> find it yourself. <laughs> My ledger is clear until you find it. But you know whose ledger's not clear or in the white or whatever it's meant to be? Uh-huh. Most of the characters in these coming chapters. Yeah. Because we left off with Marius hearing a very husky, hoarse, cracked voice. Oh, uh, like you. <laughs> that sounds like an old man's voice, but when he turned around, it was a young girl. Mm. I wish my voice was as deep as hers is described to be. But... Yeah, same. <laughs> So, a rose in distress. Mm. 
confirmed it was a very young girl standing in that open doorway. And <laughs> don't like that. A very young girl, <laughs> considering what Hugo's about to say that she does for a living. Yeah. Well, he specified very young. Mm. And she's gaunt and sickly looking, emaciated creature um, in nothing but a chemise and a skirt, covering her shivering, ice cold nakedness. And he uses like a lot of this like creature and. Um, like when Marius bumped into her in the last chapter, mm. he sort of likened the two girls to little ghouls, wasn't mm. it? That he was like, "Oh, I keep bumping into girls, and one, yeah, one before they were angels, and now they're ghouls." Mm. That she gets a lot of like ghost descriptions. I feel like I've talked about this before, but it's been a while. If I can't remember, then. <laughs> uh, um, my supervisor, her name is Hannah Thompson, and she does her. She's written a book called Taboo, and she's written a great chapter about Victor Hugo and the monster, and about reclaiming the idea of the monster for disabled people. Um, she is partially sighted, and she writes a lot about how 19th century authors, French authors like Vidugo, uh created like disabled or severely Ill, like chronically ill characters and would always make them monstrous. But like with reclaiming queer for queer people mm. from the slur, she did a chapter that was reclaiming these the idea of the monster for uh disabled people. And I thought that was a really interesting concept in like how monsters are monstered. And also it's a kind of it's a theme in uh Black Sails as well, mm. which is why I really like it, which is the like they the the people in charge need to create a monster in order to regulate the masses kind of thing and queer people disabled people people of color often become the monster in order to in order to be used as example in order to cause fear and mm. yeah i just yeah the the yeah the tenardiers do get a lot of monster imagery for them um it's interesting that you picked up as well <laughs> yeah that'd be really interesting to read because mm. yeah oh my god he goes off really hard on that um in these these chapters yeah we get a lot of creature and like savages as well to mm. get the the royal flesh of <laughs> things that interest you to write yeah, about yeah she's um clearly very cold her shoulders are angular and protruding the stunted body of a girl with the gaze of a corrupt old woman <laughs> A cross between a 50-year-old and a 15-year-old. Mm. Just, yeah. One of those creatures who are at once frail and horrible, causing those who are not made to weep at the sight of them to shudder. Which is like basically the like theme slash thesis of like the description of this girl and like her family to come of the like he wants you to feel, I guess, like sorry for them. Hmm. Or to like at least feel like sympathy because obviously they're in a very hard way. 
but then also as like, and they're monsters, and here's the ways they're evil as well. Yeah. So maybe they deserve it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we've got a classic little... What was so sad was that this young girl was not born to be ugly. Uh, She must have been very pretty as an infant. The charm of youth was still fighting the hideous premature agedness of debauchery (laughs) and poverty. Yeah, it wouldn't have mattered so much if she was a fugly little thing, but because she should be beautiful, then Victor Hugo cares. (laughs) (laughs) It just makes it all the sadder. Yeah. And Marius realizes, like, wait, I kind of recognize this face a little bit. And he's like, so why are you here? And the young girl replied in a in her drunken convict voice, "There's a letter for you, Monsieur Marius." And he's like, "How do you know my name?" Another one for the true crime podcast. Yeah. Oh my god, the true crime podcast is properly here this chapter. <laughs> so he's like, "Oh my god, knows my name. Put it on my little." bad wall of me barely <laughs> figuring things out um but yeah she comes in and she's like looking around the room with a kind of assuredness that was heartbreaking i guess i'm not sure why her being self-assured is heartbreaking mm. is it that a young woman should not be so self-assured yeah pro- well yeah it probably means that she isn't demure which means that she mm. hasn't had the right upbringing right okay yeah yeah okay <laughs> classic um, <laughs> i mean that's what i would assume by yeah. like she's oh heartbreakingly uh self-assured means like she would go up and talk to a man without propriety <laughs> yeah i guess wasn't Cosette recently described as like she's so pretty but then she was when she was before she hit 15 um she would be like smiling self-assuredly and yeah. that kind of ruins it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, that checks out. Um, but yeah, this girl is like wandering around the room. Um, she's got long holes in her skirt and she's shivering, but she's got a- another letter for Marius's pile. Mm. And he notices because he's in the habit of noticing things, apparently, that <laughs> The um the thick wafer seal was still moist. <laughs> this message not must not have come from far away <laughs> for it to still be so moist. Mm, a moist seal. <laughs> and the letter read, um, "My dear neighbor, I've learned of the good turn you've done me by paying my rent six months ago. Um, my oldest daughter will tell you we've been without a morsel of bread for two days, four of us, and my wife is sick. Um, hoping that your generous heart will be touched by this account. Will you condescend to make a small charitable donation? Um, from Jondrette. Mm. P.S. My eldest daughter will wait for your instructions. <laughs> uh, and finally, this letter was like a candle in a cellar. It was all clear. Oh my god. (laughs) This letter came from where those other came. It was the same handwriting, the same style, the same spelling, the same paper, the same tobacco smell. These five letters with five signatures were just from one signatory. What an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) But 
but he did connect the dots. So would Cumberfair and Kufarek on their podcast, would they be proud? Like they weren't, at this point, they were like, we've given up all hope. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, It's like the... The um the turning point of the episode where they finally like pick up speed and they're like oh this is this is where it all changes finally we can like go out into the field and <laughs> it only took a sixth letter <laughs> yeah so we're we're all glad for Marius that he's like okay I'm figuring something out he's uh, uh oh no I wanted to say the far line and I can't remember what it is rubbing the little great cells together god what is it yeah it, it is the little gray cells mon ami on which one must rely <laughs> anyway sorry that was funny so poor even Poirot is proud that marius managed to connect at least one single year dot yeah yeah so basically marius has like lived in this house for so long but he's daydreaming so hard so much that his eyes don't really see, mm. and because while the mind, when the his mind was elsewhere, and where the mind is, so too are the eyes. <sighs> okay. Uh, <laughs> so because he's in his own head so much, he has taken so little notice of the people that he <laughs> sees daily, and. He'd barely recognise the girls that he'd bumped into the day before, and it's only now that one of them's entered the room that he's like, huh, amid my feelings of distaste and pity, (laughs) a vague recollection is coming to me from somewhere. Jesus. So we're glad he has time to feel something besides uh, distaste and pity. Yeah. Though, to be fair, my face blindness is so bad. And also I avoid looking at people that, like, uh, it's... Hmm. What are the odds of me recognising one of the people that live in this house with me on the street? I would say there are seven of them. I would probably reckon recognise four of them if they passed me on the street. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's fair. Like I have one person who lives below us and when he's in the wild, all men look the same to me. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's women that I realise I'm like, huh, we get on the same train carriage every day for <laughs> I've only noticed now, but we've probably been doing this for four years. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I feel like that says something more about you than Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> well, now he sees it all plainly. Uh-huh. He understands everything. Uh-huh, yeah. Um that his neighbor Jondrette turned his hand in his distress to exploiting the charity of benevolent individuals. Um and then he'd get his daughters to deliver them at risk and peril to themselves Mm. for the father has sunk so low he's willing to expose his daughters to danger uh, playing a game with fate putting them at stake which he knows because when he bumped into those two girls yesterday he did hear them being like oh no uh why is it not here but i know that it he does say this at some point i was just like so confident and that I knew what this paragraph said. I was going off book. But like they they were like, oh no, I almost got caught. Mm-hmm. So he knows that's a concern. 
Mm. And he's like, these poor girls are probably engaged in other squalid activities. Mm. From the result of that were two wretched creatures that were not children, nor girls, nor women, but some sort of monster at once <clears throat> foul and innocent created by penury. Mm, interesting. They've been non-binaried <laughs> by yeah, their father. There's, there's a lot of non-binarying and mm. um, gender fluiding in these coming ones. But also that they're just straight up monsters, apparently. Yeah. The the non-binariness isn't something that I had realized but like thought about before, so that's a new one. Um I'll be interested to see like how yeah. It, in the same way of like how can we we reclaim the monster? Mm. We can reclaim these little these little critters for <laughs> the non-binaries. Assigned creature. <laughs> <laughs> we we all know that non-binaries love little creatures, so So it's true. These nameless, sexless, sorry, put it into brackets, creatures <laughs> of indeterminate age. <laughs> but then it's Hugo, so no longer capable capable of good mm. or evil, I guess. Yeah. Um, who emerge from childhood with nothing left in the world. No freedom, no virtue, no responsibility. <laughs> oh, I wish. God. <laughs> Souls, flesh, bleh. Souls fresh blown yesterday, faded today, like those flowers dropped in the street, sullied and blighted by all kinds of filth until some wheel crashes them. Okay. He loves the sad flower image for describing his young female characters. Yeah. But Marius just stares at her in pained surprise <laughs> <laughs> while she's moving around the room with the audacity of a ghost. So once again, mm. ghost. Mm. Ghost, monster, creature, ghoul. Mm, mm, mm. Monster, party, non-binary. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's darting about, not bothered about her nakedness. Um, sometimes her torn chemise will drop down to her waist, but she doesn't pay it any mind. And she's just like moving around, um, touching Marius's clothes, looking in the corners. Um and she's singing to herself as she's wandering around. And beneath this braveness, brazenness, brazenness, mm. oh, V's and Z's have always been a big problem for me. <laughs> um, beneath this brazenness, a suggestion of something forced, uneasy, abashed, was detectable. That she's sort of, I guess, covering an anxiety by making herself so busy. Mm. He felt that under other circumstances, had she been brought up to lead a different life, the playful and uninhibited behaviour of this young girl might have been something sweet and charming. God. <laughs> but not this time. Jesus. <laughs> uh, it's just so annoying. <laughs> if only she could have been pretty by my standards, says yeah. Hugo. No, it's not only that, it's if only she'd been rich, then I could enjoy her. Mm. I, Victor Hugo, and my little boy, Marius, could enjoy the sight of this girl if only she had rich parents. <laughs> <laughs> the end of Victor Hugo's story. <laughs> well, in the animal world, you never see a creature born to be a dove turn into a bird of prey. You only see that among humans. Ah! Zing. 
VMware. What, what does the cuckoo look like when it's older? Because it. Oh yeah, it does. They're, do. they're quite big. Yeah, and it transforms from being. Well, no, I mean it does that thing. It does the nest thing. I don't know. That was my thought. So it's not just a, a human nature thing. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I just like it, it's that thing again of like Hugo being like, I know nature things. Uh, and the nature thing I know is that humans are uh, conniving. And I don't know, actually, that's pretty interestingly rare, right? Like for him to be like, actually, humans are worse than animals. Well, yeah, but then in these, in a coming chapter as well, he's actually again like, actually, animals are better. Hmm. Very so... Hugo. <laughs> Hugo is just like how he does that thing where you know for like six hundred and sixty, we're on six six six. Um, the devil, Eponina's the devil. Um, you know what? For six hundred and sixty-five pages, he'll be like, mm. "Here's my stance," mm. and then he's just like had an interesting lunch with someone. <laughs> for yeah. One page, he's like, "But what if?" This completely other side of the argument that contradicts everything I've said thus far. Yeah. But he only does that for like two pages and he's like, anyway, forget what I just said. I'm better now. Back <laughs> on my bullshit. I went to bed and I woke up realizing that actually, no, I was right the entire time. But I'm not going to change what I said. <laughs> yeah. Because, <sighs> um, yeah, he, he's on a bit of a, um, the animal world is better and more pure mm. uh, kick right now. But yeah, we'll get to that second version of that to back that statement up mm. shortly. But uh, Marius isn't going to stop Epony. Well, I just assumed it's Epony. <laughs> sorry, yeah, I name dropped her and then was like, oh no. <laughs> you <laughs> ruined me by, by letting me watch the film <laughs> all those years ago. Um, the girl, the tall girl, um, that she comes upon the table and is like, oh, books! And a gleam comes into her glazed eyes, and there's pleasure in her voice that no human being is like immune to the desire to boast, says Hugo. Mm. Um, I can read, she says, and she takes the book up and she fluently reads this passage that mentions the Battle of Waterloo, which mm. immediately she stops and is like, oh, Waterloo, I know about that, because um, my father was there. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and only one man was at Waterloo. <laughs> yeah. No, two men. There was uh, my father and your father. That, yeah, that's that makes true. <laughs> but only one man walked away from Waterloo. Yeah. Um, yeah, my father was a soldier. We're Bonapartists, good and proper in our family. Um, and then she puts the book down and takes up a pen and is like, oh, I can write as well. And she. Uh, immediately starts writing. It's like, oh, do you want to see? Look, I'll write something to show you. <laughs> and she writes, <laughs> the bashers are here. <laughs> Which, the bashers are the police. Yeah, I'm just imagining, like, uh, Marius is, like, copying a, a book for work. He works in that, like, German like oh, translation, yeah, translation thing, right? And then he, like, submits a copy and it just says, like, cab in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, we didn't know Marius had opinions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah write that part of the book please <laughs> and unlike me she's like there's no spelling mistakes here <laughs> so we could never um, unrelatable yeah 
She's like, we've had some education, me and my sister. Um, we haven't always been the way we are now. We weren't meant. But then she cuts herself off and is like, never mind. <laughs> Looking at, <laughs> looks at Marius and is like, yeah, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, and starts singing to herself. A merry tune, but <laughs> my belly's empty, pa. The cupboard's bare. I'm perishing cold, ma. No woolens to wear. Shiver, little lass. Grizzle little lad. Oh my god. <laughs> like, he writes these sad songs. <laughs> as soon as she's done singing that little ditty, she's like, Oh, do you ever go to the theatre? I do. I've got a brother who's friends with the actors. Hmm. Um but I don't like sitting up in the in the guards. You get all cramped and uncomfortable there. Um sometimes you get rough customers and some smelly customers too. Interesting, because in that metaphor below before wasn't the wasn't the theatre wasn't <laughs> Yeah, man. <laughs> you get you fucking idiot. So fuck you. Yeah, it was like um, the scum of society are in my new. I'm making up my own Dante's Inferno circle yeah. now, and the worst ones are far below, and they stink, and no one can see anything down there. Yeah, yeah. And there's tunnels. Something about tunnels. Yeah, and then now he's like, actually, the gods are the worst because that's where the poor people are. Oh, fuck you, Hugo. I can remember things sometimes. <laughs> Your metaphors are all over the place. <laughs> D minus. I feel like I've given him a D minus before. <laughs> and then she looks at Marius, adopts a strange air, and is like, you know what? You're kind of a good-looking fellow. <laughs> <laughs> and then she smiles and he blushes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and she lays a hand on his shoulder and is like, um, you don't take any notice of me, but I know you. Um, I see sometimes when I'm wandering over, see visiting uh, Perma Booth. Um, it really suits you, that untidy hair of yours. <laughs> like, confirmed untidy. <laughs> Uh, she's trying to speak in a soft voice, but she only succeeds in making her voice very deep because it can't be soft. And you're like, oh, deep voice. Mm. <laughs> she's tall with a deep voice. That's how you know that Victor Hugo wasn't a lesbian. <laughs> That's true. C- can confirm. <laughs> um, so when she speaks like that, um, like some of the words are lost because of the way her oh god larynx that part of the throat that i more words i've never had to say aloud larynx larynx yeah larynx yeah i want uh, as on a keyboard that has missing notes larynx La- it's the pronunciation guide has the ae thing you know the one that yeah it's like combined so La- larynx okay. yeah larynx Okay, yeah, so <laughs> that voice so deep and husky mm. that you lose some of the words like a keyboard that's missing notes, yeah. by which I believe he means a typewriter. Yeah, oh, hmm, yeah, because my brain went keyboard, Apple Mac, no, <laughs> piano, wait, no. Casio? <laughs> they didn't, did they have, they didn't have key, uh, typewriters then? I thought that they did. Because he, he wrote in pen and ink. But then didn't he get a letter from his editor where they were like, 
where he was like, how many did we sell? How many book copies of Les Mis? Question mark. And he just got back an exclamation mark or something. Hmm. I didn't even search it because I was like, I'm sure that typewriters existed. First commercial, 1874. Because I thought that the church had started using them for their Bibles. Hmm. Also, when you search things and and when they're like the first successful patent in America, you're like, so who made it first? (laughs) And the Americans are like, actually, you need a patent because there's been quite a few things like that. Yeah. We're like, huh, but I seem to recall learning about when this was being used like 40 years before this time. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my translation says, as on a keyboard that has notes missing. Hmm. That's so confusing because I would have. I I I want to say that that means piano rather than a musical keyboard, a set of adjacent keys or levers used to play a musical instrument. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So it's like, um, harpsichord, uh, pipe organ. Uh, all of those things are keyboards. Okay. So it could be anything. Yeah, with like depressible levers on a musical instrument. That's mm-hmm. a keyboard. <laughs> yeah, board with keys. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, literally. Wow. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Her board is missing some keys. I see, I see. Um God, we we learned some <laughs> things here, but really it's like that Tumblr post that's like I love being on here because it's a net like zero of information. <laughs> it's like Well like here's a fact, well like actually that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and then we come away being like, um well I don't know what Victor Hugo was doing, but I do know what uh that uh harpsichord uh is technically a keyboard, so <laughs> So we learnt something (laughs) that could be related. And that's the only thing you'll be learning today. Yeah. Um, Finally, at this point, Marius is like, oh, wait a second. Um, I've got this packet of yours, I think. Um, Let me return it to you. Mm. But he says it with a cold seriousness that I didn't, I should have. Yeah, your intonation (laughs) was very chirpy. Casual. Do that again. Take it from the top. Mademoiselle, I have here a packet that is yours, I believe. Allow me to return it to you. Very cold. You don't sound like a lesbian who's in love with Eponine at all. (laughs) Um, He hands her four letters. She claps her hands and cries. Oh, we searched everywhere. She is like mostly to herself because I think we all know that Marius doesn't pay a ton of attention. (laughs) She's seen him around. She knows this. She's like, oh, wow. Oh, we searched for this. Oh, we looked everywhere. Um, I swear it wasn't my fault. It was my sister's fault. Uh, we didn't even go home because we didn't want to be beaten. Um, mm. So we just said we'd deliver the letters to these people. Um, but here they are, these poor little letters. How did you know they were mine? Oh, yes, the handwriting. Um, assuming that he came to this conclusion much sooner than he did, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that she's like, oh, yeah, I did. Like, we did bump into a gentleman. Um, last night, but we couldn't really see you. And then she's like opening up the letters, and I was like, "Oh, fancy that! This is the one for that old man who goes to mass." In fact, now's the time I'm going to go take it to him. Uh, maybe he'll give us something for breakfast. Mm. And then she's like, "Oh, if we have breakfast today, do you know what that means? We'll have had the day before's yesterday's breakfast, the day before yesterday's dinner, 
yesterday's breakfast and yesterday's dinner all in one go. Um, and by God, if you don't like it, drop dead, you curs. And then Maris is like, oh yeah, shit, this is why she's going to do. He's like, oh, let me check my pockets. <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't find anything. Yeah. Um, Just uh, a cartoon fly flies out. Yeah, literally, that he's like, turns them out, not even a handkerchief. Um, but she's still chatting. Um, and it's like, yeah, you know, sometimes I go off in the evening, even though it's really cold, you know, we'll huddle together to not not to freeze. Um but the water's so cold. Um, whenever I thought of drowning myself, I'd be like, no, it's too cold for that. Um, I go out on my own when I want to, and I'll sleep in a ditch. Um, you look up at the stars, and they're like smoking lanterns blown out by the wind. And I'll be in a daze and everything's spinning. Um, I'll think maybe someone's throwing things at me, but I'll be running away, but I can't be sure, and everything's spinning, spinning. It's very peculiar when you haven't eaten. Oh, my God. <laughs> And Marius is like, ah! <laughs> but he manages to find five francs and six two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he keeps for himself the six oh sixteen sous. So he keeps that mm. for himself because it's like, oh, that'll feed me. Because um, this is all the money that he has right now. Mm. Um, gives her the five francs, and she's like, oh, a bit of sunshine. Um, five francs, you're a true pal. Yeah, we'll treat ourselves to good grub. And she pulls her chemise up. She gives him a bow. More genderless behavior. Yeah. Mark. Yeah. Um, no cutseeing like, here. Yeah. And <laughs> not to this man. Hmm. She's like, good day, monsieur. I'm off to find my old man. Um, and then on her way out, she notices a stale crust of bread on his drawer. And she pounces on it and is like oh it tastes so good it's hard I'll break my teeth on it and then she's gone and then we get the providential spy hole oh. and this is for our theme of Marius the spy because remember when <laughs> the old man's old porter was like why are you hanging out around here you oh, yeah. spy you hell yeah 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 and now Marius lives up to that accusation mm-hmm. <laughs> and like so after all this Marius is like, ooh, I've lived five years of poverty and hardship, even some distress. But now realize he's never known true misery. Mm. But true misery is what he's just seen. This spectre, another word for the list. Um, this spectre that had just passed before his eyes. Um, anyone who's seen only a man in misery has seen nothing. Uh, he needs to see a woman in misery. Anyone who's seen a woman in misery has seen nothing. He needs mm. to see a child in misery. Mm-hmm. Rich coming from Hugo. I just... <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, that whole bit with Eponine and now this bit here. I'm just like, good point. Bad person to for it to be coming from. Mm. It's a shame it's Victor Hugo who's trying to make these points. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Um, It's very... It, we're, we're skewing again into the, like, poverty porn thing of, like... I'm teaching a course this term about, um, pol- like, writing political stories... And it's a group of undergraduates, so I think they're like 18, 19, 
and it's their first time writing something like this and they have to choose a topic or an issue and then write a 3,000 word either creative writing piece or essay. And I was reading through the ideas and I was like, you... <laughs> it's really cool to see that you care and obviously you're taking this course because you do care about politics and issues but the way you're writing it is so like clouty mm -hmm. um, or like I'm writing this because I'm a good person I I'll be a good person for writing it kind of like confession-ish like um a load of them are young white girls and like a lot of them chose Black Lives Matter as their issue and to be fair a lot of them were actually like you know um, I will never understand what it's like to be a black person and so I'm gonna do this thing about white guilt and like or about like um, uh, uh, the politics of incarceration and stuff and I'm like good for you like it's good that you're acknowledging this and it's like a step in the right direction but then like they talk about they use they instead of we so um white people they don't um they don't acknowledge their privilege and stuff and I'm like you are also <laughs> a mm. white person in this scenario you like as if by telling that story they and Hugo are exempt from being part of the system that was yeah that's what I was trying to get at mm -hmm. that was a very long way of saying that like, makes sense. uh it's really hard to feel empathy for the characters when it just feels like Hugo is doing this to confess his sins of not helping uh that woman who he based on teen on and thus like purging himself of that guilt mm. which is quite catholic so i don't know <laughs> yeah oh my god there is actually that's a good point to have brought up because through marius uh, you could definitely argue he's doing that a lot in this chapter mm. where he has Marius being like, oh, wh woe is me. I never noticed. If only I'd been better and mm. um, I sh somebody else would have noticed more, but I didn't. And that he's like, and then is like, um, oh, maybe it's the chapter after. But um, where it's like, Hugo's like, <laughs> I'll keep saying like, H Hugo says, that Marius has that sort of like school teacher in his own head who sometimes reprimands you more than you deserve. Mm -mm, okay. Where it's like, yeah, has him being like, oh, I should have noticed that my neighbors are suffering. Mm. Um, if woe is me, if only I had blah, 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 and I should have done this and this and this. Mm. And then kind of the, at least the language of the translation is the like, Oh, he shouldn't have felt so bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, obviously, like, there's no use getting just caught up in guilt and, in, and not doing anything because of that. And, like, obviously, we all have to continue learning and all that kind of stuff and also not exempting myself uh, from learning things. Equally contextually-wise, like, Marius doesn't finish the novel giving away his, like... Uh, inheritance no, yeah i was trying to think of the b word that's not bureaucratic um 
bourgeois. He doesn't give away his like bourgeois money to causes. Like he keeps it <laughs> in order to have a great wedding and like you know live happily ever after. I mean, from where we end the novel. Mm. Like, maybe he does go and spend all his money on, like, reforming society, but he doesn't in the novel, and so... It, like, yeah, Hugo didn't take the time to tell that story. Exactly, yeah. So it's like, as much as you... Like, okay, Marius is berating himself in his head for not noticing. He doesn't change, though. He never changes in this novel. He doesn't become, like, someone who does think about other people before himself uh even him going to the barricade is only because he thinks that Cosette is going away he's like well I'd rather die <laughs> mm. um so he doesn't yeah he doesn't develop and I guess that yeah that yeah uh, uh, yeah yeah <laughs> fuck you Hugo <laughs> <laughs> big ideas trying to be pushed out <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah yes I agreement. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, it's also, you know, whenever we're, we're with Marius, half the time it's like, here is Marius, the character, doing things. Mm. And then Hugo definitely uses... I know he uses the other characters a lot for this, but maybe we notice more when it's Marius. But Marius is a lot of the time such a vehicle for Hugo's thoughts and feelings, especially, I guess, on poverty. Mm, yeah you know when we first came to him and i was like oh nemo it's gonna be interesting to see is it marius the little boy that you hate or is it that it's impossible to untangle hugo's asides Mm. when he's being speaking through and about marius Mm. but that you you know he does it so much that it's like you literally you can't really untangle those two things because it's so uh pervasive is that the word yeah um so it's like hugo in this one like properly is like doing that thing where it's like so marius basically finds a little he he looks at his wall which he's like never noticed before Mm. um because he's daydreaming so much and there's like this tiny little hole in the top corner Mm. and he's like oh if i go put a um a chest of drawers there I can peek through and see how the Jondrettes are living. Um, And that Hugo... Then there's the little line, the aside, if I can find it. Spying on misfortune in order to relieve it is permissible. Uh, Ah, yeah. That was the line that I was like... Because I get what... that I guess Hugo's trying to be like, it's okay... Because, like, maybe what he's trying to see it say there is like, oh, but if we never notice these things, mm. how will we even know to to fix them? Mm. But it's like, but, you know, Marius, like, bumps into these girls on the street and, like, can see from, like, the way they're dressed or, like, only actually partially dressed and, like, not in shoes and things like that, that it's like, you can see the poverty... Mm. Uh, and misfortune without having to spy on people and basically like uh oh my brain isn't smart enough for this point i'm trying to make like intrude on their space yeah yeah and like capitalize on it as well yeah 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 that's like that that is literally what they miss is really isn't it that's <laughs> like that that was him being like haha get it guys like you know we're gonna spy on the miserable in order to like 
to learn about them and ah wow yeah that's really annoying (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, i i feel like i brought it up quite a few times but yeah the 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 henry it was called the london poor or something like that and it was yeah like a documentary book about the london poor and it was yeah the same thing of like look at all these people but he didn't talk to them <laughs> he just he just observed them and like little like little monsters like little beasts or um savages to like document rather than like talking to them yeah yeah <laughs> so we found the thesis statement of Les Mis. yeah page in my translation 672 hmm also i so I was going to mention this earlier when we were talking about how intangible, no, not intangible, in how hard it is to untangle Hugo from Marius to point out that Victor Hugo's full name is Victor Marie Hugo. Oh! Oh, <laughs> 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 what? Yeah, yeah. That would have been good to know. Yeah, I, I, it like suddenly occurred to me as you were saying it, and I was like, I'm pretty sure his his name is like Victor Dash Marie Hugo, <laughs> but he goes by own like you know it's it, it, he usually writes just as Victor Hugo. Yeah, um, Victor Marius <laughs> Ponra Hugo. <laughs> We've connected the dots. <laughs> Well, I gave you in our and me and Nemo rubbing the brain cells together to equal one rant. <laughs> Basically, the flavor like that's so that is the action of this chapter is that he's like, oh, there's a little hole. Mm. I'll look through it. Uh-huh. But we must have a lot of thoughts before around him pushing the chest of drawers mm. and spying. So. In this despair-ridden place <laughs> that is the concept of poverty, mm. but also this room that Marius is about to look into, everything is a resource. So health and youth and honour, flesh and heart and virginity and modesty, mm. and they're manipulated. And that fathers, mothers, children, brothers, sisters, men, women, girls come together and almost like a mineral formation become one in that murky promiscuity of gender, relationship, age, infamy and innocence. Hmm. Is that something? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, an interesting thought that he's actually thinking about resource like capital, uh, uh, early capitalism. (laughs) Sorry, my brain went to many different (laughs) levels there, but... The, the idea of everything being capital and then I kind of like stuck on that and then yeah that's that's where my brain left off well that's the whole point as well so <laughs> your brain was right to latch <laughs> but while they're becoming this murky being I guess mm. says Hugo they squat back to back in wretchedness because <laughs> <laughs> every I guess yeah I guess anything to do with like gender and sexuality Mm. for Hugo at this time would be something they're like oh no Mm. whereas whenever we see anything that could be like oh interesting we're like oh yeah um but these poor people sorry Mm. you go (laughs) um there was that quote about George 
Oh. Oh, yeah. yeah. I feel like it's come up. The uh, writer that Hugo was kind of friends with. Yeah. Who was like. Was, was um, like, I don't care what they do. Yeah, exactly. I, I just care about their writing. A, a he or a she. I don't care what they do in their own time as long as their writing is good, which is quite a, you know, centrist thing. But, you know, it's not like, oh, monster. Oh, freaky, weirdo. So. Yeah, but he says that. But in the next <laughs> chapter that we're going to do next week, we've got a man in a chemise, and he's disgusting. Ah, okay. So yeah. cool, cool. All that to look forward to. <laughs> um, yeah, much like we love a. Uh, I can't go off on that tangent. <laughs> we've not got the time. We'll get to it next week. Yeah. Um, all these fun. But I'll look forward to this. <laughs> um, basically, the young girl who'd visited Marius was like a messenger from this dark place of wretchedness mm. um, and had revealed to him a whole hideous side of night. And that's when Marius is reproaching, al- actually, no, not reproaching, almost reproaching himself <laughs> for his daydreams. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, so not quite, but like he's thinking about feeling bad. Right. And that he's like, you know, paying their rent, that was just an automatic gesture and everyone would have done that would have done that. But I should have done more, um, thinks Marius. And to think that only a wall separated him from these forsaken individuals groping in the dark. Um he was in a way their last link with the human race that they were in contact with. <laughs> yeah. Um, this privileged little fuck boy (laughs) we're gonna get some um, these savages next week Mm. just to add to the little uh, last link to human race that he's got going on now to think he's not paid any attention um, while he was in his dreams thinking of love and joy um, other human beings were agonising beside him and that he's part of their misfortune and they'd had a different neighbor maybe they'd been more they would have been more attentive Hmm. uh, and realized sooner in any case there is a point where the poor and the wicked become mixed up and lumped together in that one fateful word the wretched Hmm. should not charity be all the greater for the further into the depths we fall so like that whole thing there's like this whole that whole paragraph is like kind of from his pov where he's like oh if only i've done more like i know i did do this but i should have done more Hmm. which like definitely comes across in the way of like that i think he goes being like this silly boy he already did so much which like Mm. he like did do a good turn Mm. by paying for their rent Mm. um it's just once again that the way that hugo tells it yeah that just makes you be like Okay, yeah, do reproach yourself then, you little bitch. <laughs> because that's when the line that I was flicking around for, but it was literally the page I was on, mm. where it's like, while lecturing himself in this way, for there were times when Marius, like all truly honest souls, was mm. his own tutor and scolded himself more than he deserved. Yeah. That, yeah, that, like, I do, like, Marius, you did do a good thing. Yeah, I hate Victor Hugo telling it like this, and yeah. that makes me lessen the good thing that you did do. It's um virtue signaling, right? Like, yeah. So it's Hugo virtue signaling. Yeah, that you're like, 
would Marius do this? Or is it Hugo? I know that like he wrote the character, so like maybe I- am I on a journey where I'm desperately I'm trying to untangle Marius from Hugo, being like, oh he's fine, but like he is doing this. So yeah. is he fine? I don't know. I don't yeah. know how I feel about it all. Yeah. Except that I know that I don't like the way Hugo talks about it. Mm. You know that character in Rent? Uh, is it Mark? I can't remember. He's like... Um, the blonde one? Yeah, the blonde one with the camera. And he's filming the um, the homeless people. And one of them is like, fuck off. Do you have any money? And he's like, uh, no, sorry, I'm a bit poor myself. And she's like, yeah, I thought so. <laughs> and he's like, but I'm trying to document your plight. And she's like, yeah, give me money or fuck off. Mm. and like um you know uh, rent isn't you know the perfect show in in the world but i do think that that is quite that is a very valid critique of people like hugo who are very artistic um Mm. and who are like but i'm doing such a good job because i am filming the plight of um when i'm sure they would have preferred his royalties going to them yeah (laughs) I feel like that was a really good comparison, Nemo. Let's do that properly at some point. But it would mean that I would have to rewatch Rent. <laughs> we'll just rewatch that video essay about it and say we do. We can watch Tick Tick Boom and then Rent, or Rent and then Tick Tick Boom, and then you have to then then you'll understand. And more. then finish Lamers. <laughs> and then finish Lamers. Or rewatch yeah. Lamers, and then we'll compare the three. Yeah. yeah. Oh, a special just wrote itself. Great. <laughs> because yeah because I've only seen Rent once but Mm. and it was it was the movie which I have heard make can make you feel a bit different from the play Mm. but that yeah where it was just like but this boy is obnoxious (laughs) the way he's going about this I don't like these characters yeah yeah um but yeah I guess yeah you you put it Nicely, yeah. <laughs> we were just like, Hugo, get out of my face with this. <laughs> but yeah, classic Marius. He's just such a daydreamer. He's not even realised that he can literally hear everything going on through his wall, but he's just like so oh in his own God. head that he's kind of like the perfect neighbour for that. Yeah. Um, But then he's like, well, I should be noticing now. Oh, wait, there's a little hole up there. Um, A triangular hole. And by climbing on the chest of drawers, he could see through this opening into the Jondrette's garret. And commiseration has its curiosity. And so it should. The gap formed a kind of spy hole. Spying mm-hmm. on misfortune in order to relieve it is permissible, as we've said. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, Marius is like, let's take a look at what these people are like and what their situation is. <laughs> As if Hugo, like, stepped into the story and then punched you in the face and said, pay attention. (laughs) And then he does just that. He puts his eye to that hole. Ready for next episode. Yay! We've got a little freak on our hands, boys. (laughs) It kind of is in keeping with his character though like he did stalk a girl and her dad that's true that is true yeah he's not he's not great (laughs) he did successfully 
follow them to their home so well that they had to move. Yeah, but as we'll see, he he would not make a good police, um, which annoyingly is a positive thing, (laughs) politically wise, for Mm. me. The vibes and the energy was some places today. Yeah. But so was the subject material, question mark? Yeah. It was actually fairly consistent. Yeah. Fairly consistently Hugo, which means it was inconsistent. So <laughs> we're fine to have recorded like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just um, empaths. And uh, <laughs> 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 um, this podcast was produced by me, Nima Martin, and Julian Yap. It's a Captain's Collections podcast. You can send us a comment, question, or quibble about Marius to our email. Lamers Podcast, L E S M I S Podcast at gmail.com or Twitter, Lamers Podcast, or on Tumblr at Bread and Barricades. If you like this theme song, you can download it from Jade's Bandcamp, jdwasabi.bandcamp.com, or you can just look on her website, jdwasabi.com. And if you like us <laughs> and you want to donate five francs and 16 sous, <laughs> however much that would equivalent. Oh god, now I've said the words. Um, in 1832, at the end of Les Mis, a franc was worth 10, uh, so it would be £4.20 in modern money. Four twenty. Yeah, four twenty. plays it! Hell yeah! So, he had about £22. If you want to send us £22, <laughs> you can do so on our Kofi or on our Patreon, um, and we will buy some excellent food, as Eponine said. And if you like this podcast and you haven't already, please give us five stars on Spotify. And that's everything. I thank think. you. <laughs> so thank you. I was as you were the first part of that sign off. Yeah. I was like, oh, the thing I'll say at the end is imagine if uh, the rest of the podcast was like as efficient as when you're doing the sign off. But then we got distracted <laughs> by money. I mean, also two people who are slightly obsessed with money, making sure we know exactly how much money the stakes are. <laughs> yeah, it checks out. <sighs>